Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're set to go against the spread for week number two of the National Football League season, week three in college football, if you can believe it. And with that, I want to welcome our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports, onto the show. Victor, how was your week last week, and are you looking forward to week number three in college football this season? Not a bad week. Now, in terms of our totals tip sheet newsletter, I would prefer we could maybe press a little bit of a reset button and start this sucker all over again. Nice on the dogs, nice on the NFL underdogs, but uh, our totals not too well. With that said, I do want to congratulate you. You know, you're the guy who comes up with the best bets in the playbook football newsletter, Mark, and I'm seeing... Best bets go six and one last week. Our first playbook newsletter that is a combined college and NFL issue. So nicely played there. We'll see if we can get these totals going in the NFL going this week. And college football wasn't bad either. Not a lot of people were on Army plus the points in that game against Michigan. But uh, your service was, in addition, a point or two winner on Texas A&M, a big dog as well. So First week, okay, let's hit into week two and uh, take care of this sucker today on Wednesday. We're recording it a little bit later today since we had some issues early this morning on Wednesday, but uh, we are ready to go for another big weekend. Well, Victor, our good friend Steve Crabb from Texas sent us an email before we went on to the show with a great idea on the show, and we both concur wholeheartedly about expressing what it is we learned on the football card last week. And we're going to do that in the opening segment here, hit in a couple of facts from college football that we learned and a couple of facts on the NFL side of things. And I'll say this in that regard, Victor, to you, what I learned in the football card last week is an appreciation for a good amount of quality football games. (laughs) Uh, All in all, there were some marquee matchups and, uh, you know, a potential bowl matchup type pairings. But my goodness, I look over this week's card and it looks awful skinny. That's the first thing that I learned on last week's card. How about you? I would certainly agree with that. Uh, Where's all the good games this week? (laughs) I, I don't see any games matching top 25 teams. That's obviously the case. And, you know, in our business, we're always looking a week or two in advance. And man, there is going to be some fantastic games next week. We got Michigan, Wisconsin. We got Auburn, Texas AM, Notre Dame, and Georgia. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit sick of watching Alabama laying 21 points on the road or laying 50 points at home. And guess what, Mark? They're going to be, I project, a 47 point favorite next week when they're hosting Southern Mississippi. Well, I watched Nick Saban in a post-game interview, and he was uh, lamenting the fact that they're playing whoever they can schedule. That Not a lot of teams mm. want to schedule Alabama. 
uh, at this particular period of time when they're so strong. But, you know, the bottom line is they could do a much better job of scheduling those games. And what I also learned is the fact that if he's crying about scheduling those games, why not go to their field and play games at their field as a visiting team rather than being a pansy and staying at home and walking over these high school football teams? It's absolutely pathetic. So don't cry, Nick Saban. Do a better job of scheduling those games. It's a little bit about what I took out of that post-game interview from Nick Saban, if you will. And also, Victor, uh, what I learned last week in regards to what it is that I love doing the most is uh, when I'm tearing games apart statistically and I do a a post-operative look at the games and how they played out, tearing the teams down in the stats. I noticed in college football last year that there were nine teams that won football games inside out, meaning they won the game and lost the yards, and they were headlined by Wyoming, who won by 100 in, or lost by 151 yards and won the game. And I'll pass this note along because it'll be in an article that I'll post on the website calling Inside the Stats. Wyoming is one of two college football teams this year, Victor, that has started out 2-0, and but they've been out-yarded in both football games. A little bit of a surprising stat, so you might want to put them on prepare to start fading Wyoming sooner or later. That's in regards to what I learned inside out in the stats. How about you, Victor, from an uh, over, under, or point spread perspective in college football last week? What did you learn? Well, first off, uh, another thing I learned last week is we can finally welcome an SEC program into the 21st century of offensive football, and it cost us. I'm talking about the game that we discussed last week, the Texas LSU game. The most consistently underwhelming offense in the elite echelon of the sport is basically roared to life in 2019. But yeah, they're about a decade or two behind most of the aerial revolution. But I'm talking about LSU. And uh, with that win last week, 45 to 38 over Texas, they may have basically announced their rival now as a modern or contemporary football power. Welcome to you, LSU. It cost me last week as I was on the under, but uh, that's a program that we can finally welcome into the 21st century. Uh, In terms of dogs, it hasn't been a great season thus far for college football dogs. Not a good week overall last week, 18-25 and three for the dogs. Overall in the season, 40-47 and four ATS. Conference dogs have done slightly better than non-conference dogs. We'll see what happens this week. But again, the final uh, uh, the memory I have of what we learned last week was LSU's finally made it into the 21st century. What do you know? Well, they sure have, Victor. That was an impressive outing by them. Joe Burrow, the former Ohio State quarterback, looked like an NFL quarterback in the football game. And another take that I walked away from the football game is this, about how important it is in finding the best line when shopping for football games, it's invaluable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that was a classic case there. Uh, that football game went off at uh, minus six or six and a half. There were plenty of sevens out there all week long. And a person that does their smart shopping would have picked up the plus seven on Texas if they were, if that's a side they were looking to get at. And instead of waiting for game day, uh, and especially the night of game day, game day night, and taking the worst of a number, you end up being penalized and you end up hurting in your pocketbook because of that. So that was a valuable lesson to learn about the importance of lines and shopping for them earlier in the week rather than game day, because on game day, most of these games have already been beaten up, if you will. 
Let's take a look, Victor, on the NFL side of things, and I think there was plenty that we can pick up to say that we learned from the uh, as well, and I think right at the top of the list might be the fact that some of these teams that uh, either rested or didn't play any starters in the preseason, they come up pretty good in the opening week of the National Football League, uh, so maybe rust, rest didn't turn to rust for them, but uh, it also means to me that I think we're going to end up seeing shorter preseasons sooner than later. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, a lot of teams did not play their starters throughout the whole preseason, and yet it was, again, a pretty fairly high-scoring week one in the NFL. Average points per game last week was 48.5. That's almost a full point higher than last year's stunning start, in which there was 47.8. The average game went over the total this last weekend by plus 2.6 points per game, officially nine overs. Seven unders. Again, a case of the haves and the have-nots. Half of all the NFL games last week did indeed have 54 or more combined points. Six games had 41 or less. There was only two games that finished in that you know meaty portion of the over-under line range of 42 to 53 points. So, yeah, a lot of scoring last week. Again, half of the games had 54 or more. The primetime games, once again, we talk about the primetime games and the fact there's a little bit of a tax involved if you want to go over the total in those primetime games. It was a good start for under betters, one over, three unders in the primetime games with the average points scored only 36.8. So I would definitely, that's our takeaway, Mark, is that maybe the preseason isn't as important as it should be. We can think about maybe two games in the preseason schedule. I know the players are not thrilled about adding two regular season games, but we'll definitely see where that takes us. Also, Victor, on the National Football League card in week number one, we had learned about and shared this with our leaders in the playbook uh, newsletter and also uh, a couple of tweets we had sent out, so forth and whatnot, about how valuable uh, division dogs seem to be in week one of the NFL preseason in uh Correct me if I'm wrong, Victor. I know you keep the tally from the database here. I, I believe those division dogs got off to a barkingly good start last week. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, Mark Jr. and myself, we were talking about it, and the best and most profitable week one situation had been division underdogs playing with revenge. And they brought home the bacon last week. We went four and one ATS. They've now gone 28-8-1 ATS since the 2008 season. Even more remarkable, since 2013, Week 1 Division Dogs playing with revenge have gone 16-2-1 ATS. A phenomenal number for the uh, hungry divisional underdogs in Week 1. And it kind of sets the stage a little bit for maybe what's the best profitable situation in Week 2 in the NFL. And after playing around in the database earlier this morning... It's underdogs that come into game two when both teams are off a game one loss. These dogs have done very well, 67% against the spread over a large sample size of 18 years. We're dating all the way back to 2002. Underdogs, game two, both teams coming off a loss, 36-18-2 ATS. These teams have gone 10-4 and four against the spread at home, 14-5 in division play. If you do a little bit of homework, 
There are four of these underdogs going this particular week in which both teams are off a loss, and that seems to be the most profitable week two situation in the NFL. And one thing I learned also last week, Victor, is that number one draft picks in the National Football League aren't necessarily locks, as we witnessed with Kyler Murray with Arizona last week, who struggled mightily throughout the first three quarters of his Arizona game with Detroit last week before finally coming alive. And it appears that his stature may be end up being an impediment for him, given the fact that he had quite a few passes that were knocked down at the line of scrimmage. He rallied himself yeah. back and it only becomes evident to me, Victor, that he's going to end up not having to be a pocket passer. He's going to have to learn how to roll out, scramble, and get rid of the ball that way. Your other take, Victor, that you might have picked up on Kyler Murray last week as well. I was pretty certain that he would struggle in week one against the Detroit Lions. And like you mentioned, he did through three quarters. I think he threw for 72 yards through three quarters of play. It was one of our unders of the week in the totals tip sheet newsletter, a game that uh, looked pretty good to me. Uh, the game was 0-0 after one quarter. After three quarters of play, it was 17-6. to And we basically had almost marked that under winner up until there was a lot of scoring in the fourth quarter. Five TDs, 41 points. Here, here's one uh, that was uh, a what I call one of those heartbreaking losses where you lose your play with 43 seconds left in the game. A really nice fourth quarter by Murray, but we were kind of hoping that those first three quarters of struggles would carry over through the entire game. And again, it's one of our games where we can say we were on the right side. But a, all it takes is one high-scoring quarter for an under to lose, and that's what happened in that particular game with the Lions and Cardinals, a rare tie in the NFL. It was a rare tie in the NFL, and in fact, we'll be commenting about that on the playbook.com website about how poorly NFL football teams fare in games following a tie after kissing your sister playing five quarters of football. These teams have a difficult time of getting back up the very next week. We'll see what happens this week with the Detroit Lions and the Arizona Cardinals out of that football game. Another key stat that I learned last week, Victor, when it comes to handicapping football games the first week of the season is don't buy into the hype. And if you're from Cleveland, like you and I, Victor, are, there's a lot of disappointed fans right now in Cleveland after watching the Browns' performance against Tennessee last week. They've took the opening kickoff, they marched right down the field and went up 7 nothing, and then they forgot all about how to play football and how to play be disciplined as a football team. It was pathetic to watch that football team. 18 penalties for 182 yards. No football team can overcome an avalanche just like that. So the Browns themselves, all the hype, they failed to live up to it, but remains to be seen what happens with them moving forward. And they were part of what might have been a huge ATS point spread lopsided loss Victor, anything you learned on the card as far as ATS results in the National Football League last week? Profitable day overall for the Dogs. Not straight up. They went 5-10-1 straight up, but 9-7 and seven ATS overall. We mentioned the fact that it was the division Dogs that really clicked last week going 4-1. and one. And like I said also last week, 9-7 and seven in terms of over-unders, uh, 48.5 points per game. The <clears throat> excuse me, the early kickoff games slightly higher scoring than the late kickoff games last week. And one more thing I want to throw in, Mark, that we learn is that a lot of times you can have a killer over or killer under situation 
sometimes it's very, very hard to pull the trigger. One of my favorite over situations goes this week in the NFL, and I still don't know if I uh, am going to pull the trigger on this game over the total. I can't explain it. It's something I found in the database late uh, some evening a few years ago. But it's the fact that in the NFL, when you got one team coming in off a Thursday game and one team coming in off a Monday game, for some reason, the overs have done very, very well in these particular games. Since 1992, 29 overs, five unders, one tie, and the results improved to 25-3-1 over-under when the over-under line is 53 or less points. And we've got a game that comes into play this particular week. The Chicago Bears, they're off a Thursday game. Denver Broncos, they're off a Monday game. So they qualify their game this week in that situation, which has gone 25-3-1 over-under. Automatically, you'd think that'd be a play. It's tough. Here's our dilemma, and this is my over-under dilemma number one this week. Can we trust two poor week one offenses to combine for 41 or more points in this particular game? Not to mention... Heck, Denver and Chicago, they got two of the best defenses in the league. How are we going to get our points for the over to cash? A lot of times the situation presents itself in front of you, but because of the teams involved and what happened last week and their defensive rankings, we may end up passing in that particular game. Victor King talking about the benefits or the effects of playing National Football League overs in football games involving teams coming off a Thursday and a Monday game, but he does it with an asterisk. And before we wrap up this segment here, Victor, here, we got a good email last week from Jeff Kabasiak, a real good uh, playbook devote, devoted fan up in Canada. And he loved the rant that we went on last week when we were talking about the spoiled athletes in the National Football League. And, uh, uh, in particular, Antonio Brown, and we'll get to him in just a short moment or two. But one of the comments that Jeff brought up here is the fact that the, the, uh, the, with the implementation of the new pass interference penalties in the National Football League, we're seeing more stoppages and uh, plays being resumed. The, the length of the football games, uh, they're trying to make them shorter, but they're lengthening them because of this. And it's absolutely ridiculous when you're watching a football game and you can take an extra lunch break while they're while searching to see whether or not there was pass interference in a football game. They need to absolutely do a better job in this. I know what they're doing, their purpose is right. They're on the right path, but they need to circumvent it a little bit. Put a lid on this thing here and not tune fans out when they're tuning in, waiting for a decision on a pass interference penalty. Victor, your take on this new rule in the National Football League, is it good or is it bad? Oh, no, I don't like it either. And Jeff's right in the fact that – we're overreacting too much. We're overreaching too much. We're overadjusting too much. We're tinkering too much and trying to make the game shorter in the same breath. <laughs> I kind of like his solution. Let's uh, let's play Canadian-style football and reduce it instead of four downs to three downs on offense. Yeah, three downs on offense shortens the football game up. I don't know if it gives us what we want, but it does shorten the football game up, so... Uh, thanks, Jeff, for that little tidbit there, and we'll see exactly how this new rule fares out in the National Football League. And we w- couldn't close this segment out without mentioning Antonio Brown once again, only because Antonio Brown insists on being mentioned. He keeps his mug in the news, whether it's for all the right reasons or whether the wrong reasons. And the funny thing here is, Victor, is uh, after all his bitching, he's now being bitched by a bitch. 
who is uh, trying to sue him, <laughs> if you will, uh, his trainer for uh, for being ungentlemanly like and forcing himself sexually on the on her. So you know the saga continues for Antonio Brown, who in my mind, Victor is a cancer and he was a cancer in Pittsburgh. He was a cancer in Oakland and he'll metastasize and he'll be another cancer in new England. You can mark it down. Uh, they just, they just don't change their stripes. Lepers don't change their stripes and he won't change his stripes either. So while he's looks good on the roster and everybody's talking about, he'll be the next Randy Moss. He could end up also being the next Chad Johnson in New England, who ended up being a bust up there. And I'm going to vote more Chad Johnson than Randy Moss, if for no other reason, because of Antonio Brown's DNA. I don't know if you want to throw any more salt and pepper on that, Victor, but that's my take on Antonio Brown these days. You know, it's kind of weird. It wouldn't be a day of the week without some sort of Antonio Brown saga, conspiracy, something going on with him. Uh, on, a, on a side note, he was a wide receiver on my keeper fantasy league. So that means you get to keep him for the duration of his career. Fortunately for me, I did cut him <laughs> in the off season and I took his expensive salary and I invested in Julio Jones instead. So I'm kind of glad he's off my fantasy team. I think New England might feel the same way, you know. If they thought that Antonio Brown would play by the Belichick rules, I think New England is sadly mistaken. Uh, in terms of image, it probably doesn't matter to New England that much. This is not a team that's very image conscious. I bring up uh, Deflate Gate. I bring up Spy Gate. I bring up Robert Kraft down here having fun in South Florida. So they don't care too much about image. But the commissioner of the NFL does, and the NFL as a league is very, very image conscious. So you might see him put on the commissioner's exempt list in the next day or two, meaning he would be paid, but he wouldn't be allowed to play. We'll see what happens as the saga continues. As the world turns in Antonio Brown's world, I'm sure this is not the last conversation we'll have about him between now and the end of the football season. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to get into our College and National Football League games of the week. We'll tear apart a good college football game when Iowa travels to Iowa State for our college football game of the week. When we're back with more shortly here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. It's time to experience the all-new Playbook Experts VIP Experience. Only the Playbook Experts VIP Experience offers We Pay the Juice, Conflict Game Notices, Tokens Bonuses, SMS Alerts, and Genius Game Alerts. It's the only customer experience of its kind. To find out more about becoming a Playbook Experts VIP, log on today at playbook.com or call toll-free for more information at 1-800-PLAYBOOK. Become a VIP this football season with your Playbook Experts VIP membership. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King. And we're going against the spread on the football card this weekend. It's time for our college football game of the week. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we had to kind of dig deep to find a college football game of the week that would be appealing to everybody because they're not a lot of appealing-looking games on the football card this week. It doesn't mean that there's not a good lot of quality games to handicap, but the bottom line is, from a marquee standpoint, a little bit short college football this week. But we are going to go instead this week to a big rivalry football game 
in the state of Iowa, where Iowa State at Jack Trice Stadium will play host to arch-rival Iowa. Victor, your take on the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes this Saturday. Right, they're playing for the Cy Hawk Trophy. And, you know, this Iowa-Iowa State rivalry usually, like you say, not one that's in the center of the college football universe. But uh, that changes this weekend. In fact, ESPN's College Game Day making their first ever trip to Ames, Iowa for the event. So they're playing it up. We're acknowledging that it's one of the biggest games of the weekend in terms of the over-under line. It opened at 47. It's already come down a couple of points. I'm seeing some 45s out there. I'm even seeing a couple of 44 and a halfs. But it, as I mentioned, it is going to be on ESPN College Game Day. So that will be fun. And my question is, you know, will the Iowa State team that showed up for Northern Iowa be the team that comes out of the tunnel for the Cyhawk Trophy this week? Many fired up emotional fights between these two, but the Northern Iowa Panthers, man, they took the Big 12 team to three overtimes a couple of weeks ago. On the flip side, this Iowa defense, always very, very good. They're as, you know, as solid as a rock. Yes, we have to factor in the cupcakes that they played. Uh, they stalled Miami University. They destroyed Rutgers. And, of course, now they're going to be playing an Iowa State passing game that should be better as the season goes on. But it did stall way too many times against the Panthers in that first game. Meanwhile, if not for perhaps uh, Ohio State and Justin Fields, you can easily make a case that Nate Stanley of Iowa is probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Coming off a very strong, what, 236-yard performance, three-score day against Rutgers. And I know Iowa State has a pretty solid secondary, but they're going to need a little bit of a pass rush at that's going to struggle against the Iowa line. In terms of a uh, series history between these two teams, relatively low scoring. Yeah, every five years or so, you're going to get one of these 44 to 41 barn burners in overtime, like what happened in 2017 when Iowa won 44 to 41, or what happened back in 2011 when it was Iowa State who won 44 to 41. Again, in overtime, those games aside, it's been, like I say, a pretty low-scoring series. The last 10 meetings have gone 3, 6, and 1 over under. Average line, 47.3. Average point scored, 38.1. So even though you had two of those 85-point outings between these two teams, the average game has still gone under the total by minus 9.2 points per game. That's the way I'm leaning, Mark. In this particular game, at 47 or 48, it would have definitely been a play for us. But a lot of the value has been cut away from the game with a line down to 44 and a half the last time I looked. Whether or not I'm actually going to bet it or not, I'm going to do a little bit more handicap and we're going to see which way the line goes. Again, there's not a heck of a lot of value at 44 and a half. If you are going to play the game, though, it's either go under the total or pass. Victor's going to lean to the under right now with no value in the football game as we speak, but he'll look for the value to see where that over-under line does move to in the meantime. And as Victor mentioned, this will be game day, ESPN's game day, first visit ever, if you will, to Jack Trice Stadium. 
in this football contest in Ames, Iowa, and no doubt about it, the Cyclones will be looking to pack the jack, if you will. They're pumped up for this football game. It will be a sellout at Iowa State, and they're pumped to the max for this football game, and deservedly so. This is a football program that's really rebounded nicely since Matt Campbell has taken over the program. He came over in 2016 from Toledo, and he took them from a stone loser into a bowl team each of the last two football seasons, eight-win teams the last two years largely behind a quarterback in Brock Purdy, a sophomore who is really developing rapidly and really becoming one of the better quarterbacks inside the Big 12 Conference. As long as they're the dog, Iowa State brings this number to the table, 11-2 and two to the spread the last 13 times at home taking points. And they're also in this coveted Game 2 home role where teams are playing at Game 2 at home with a week of rest off a Game 1 win, taking on an opponent off back-to-back wins, that angle is 14-2 and two to the point spread to these home teams in this particular role. All good stats for Iowa State in this contest. Iowa invades under head coach Kirk Ferentz, the, the longest-tenured coach in all of college football. 20 years he's been at Iowa, the longest-tenured coach. And he's done a great job with the program here, and he does it largely because not much is ever expected from the Iowa Hawkeyes, but all they keep doing is winning and delivering each year, year in and year out, a very sound, fundamental football coach who very rarely does get outcoached. He's opened up 2-0, and Iowa has, against lightweights Rutgers and Miami of Ohio. So this will be a big, big test for him in his first road game against a formidable opponent. Iowa just 1-3 and three to the spread on the road of back-to-back home games and just 2-5 and five to the number as a non-conference road favorite. The big stat for me in the contest here is from Matt Campbell, who is playing with three-year exact triple revenge against Iowa. He's been at Iowa State three years. He's lost all three times to Iowa. I love triple revenge exact because a team or a coach looks to stop the dominance before it does become just that dominance. You look at Matt Campbell in his career. He's 7-0 and against the spread when he has revenge. He's the underdog taking on an opponent off back-to-back wins. I'll play Matt Campbell and Iowa State as they pack the jack in Ames, Iowa, against the Iowa Hawkeyes on Saturday. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I are going to tear down our NFL Game of the Week, and we've got a dandy inside the NFC North Division when the Minnesota Vikings take on the Green Bay Packers. We'll do that game and hop out, out to Las Vegas when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. If you haven't seen Andy Isco's The Logical Approach Football Newsletter, then you owe it to yourself to download this week's newsletter in time for the football games this week. Andy's statistical and fundamental take on every week's football card is comprehensive and visionary. Many say it's like money in the bank. Check out the new issue every week at TheLogicalApproach.com. See what winning football information is all about at TheLogicalApproach.com. Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're excited 
as we go against the spread on this week's NFL and college football cards. And it's time now for our NFL football game of the week. And we've got a beauty inside the NFC North division when the Green Bay Packers play host to the Minnesota Vikings at Lambeau Field. Victor, your take on the Packers and the Vikings. You know, when I uh, get into the playbook offices on Monday mornings and start working on the new totals tip sheet newsletter, the most eagerly anticipated time for me is when those over-under lines first come out on Mondays. Because a lot of times, that's going to be the best time in terms of value. And in this game, it kind of worked out like that. It opened at 46, the Vikings and the Packers. I immediately went online played the game under the total. Later on in the day, it started going down. Lo and behold, here we are Wednesday afternoon. It's down to 44 points. It's come down a full two points. Now, I still think there's some value on this particular game going under the total. Let's not forget each team's result last week. You know, Minnesota played the slowest-paced game of the week last Sunday with only 48 offensive plays against the Falcons. And, man, they only attempted 10 passes against Atlanta. You know, Green Bay also played a slow game versus the Bears. They only had 53 offensive plays. So let's put that in terms of context. The average NFL game has 65 to 67 offensive plays in it. That that shows you that, uh, and in fact, on this week's schedule, this features two of the top five slowest offenses in the league. We already know what we're getting on defense. Minnesota, easily a top four defense in the NFL This is not a team that you're going to have passing success against long-term. Very good defense for Minnesota. And it looks like Green Bay has improved on defense as well. So, again, we're not surprised that the line has come down a couple of points. This is a series that's gone under the total by a margin of more than a full touchdown a game, minus 8.4 points per game in the last nine meetings. My first query in regards to this game is, had me looking at NFL division games in the second week of the season. This has gone 3-15 and 15 over-under since 2012. Week 2 division games in which, A, the home team is favored, and Green Bay is indeed, and the over-under line is greater than 42 points. There's another week-specific situation that applies to this game only in the NFL this week, and that is all Game 2 home favorites of minus 2 or more points when both teams are off a Week 1 win. Again, when the over-under line is 42 or more points, and this is the only game this week in the NFL that qualifies in that underwhelming 0-13-2 over-under situation. I know the Packers are playing with a little more rest in this game. That's okay by us because last season, NFL home teams off a Thursday division road game went a perfect 0-5 over-under. So we're anticipating a score, well, I don't know, 21-17, 24-17. I don't know which way that you'll be going in terms of the side play. But another thing that I came across in Mark when I was looking for over-under situations was the fact that Green Bay starts a three-game rare, three-game homestand. Their next road game is not till mid-October, and divisional favorites do very, very well. In fact, this has gone now 16-2-1 ATS for you favorite or dog players. NFL division favorites in the first of three straight home games. That applies to the Packers this week. I'm kind of hoping that's the way you're going 
Mark, in terms of the Packers and the Vikings, we're definitely going under. But which way are you going in terms of the side? Well, Victor, I'll say this. If you're in the Packers, so too am I. And I'm going to break this game down and tell you some of the reasons why I like the Green Bay Packers in this contest. For openers, you're talking about a Minnesota football team. Uh, Both of these teams come in off division wins and covers in their first football game of the season. That makes this game highly important because the winner goes to 2-0 on the season here. The Minnesota Vikings, we all know Mike Zimmer has been a money machine in the National Football League, but he's only 15-14-1 to the spread in division games. He makes all of his money outside the division where he cashed handily last week against Atlanta. And when I say cash handily against Atlanta, he did so despite the fact when you tear down the numbers and look inside the numbers that the Minnesota effort last week, he was outgained in the contest. 28 points, he put up only 269 yards and got outyarded 76 yards in the game. He wins the turnovers 3 to nothing in his favor. A big, big reason why Minnesota wins that game last week. The Vikings come in here. Uh, if you're talking about in football games in game two, Against division opponents, 2-9-1 straight up and against the spread. So they struggle a little bit that way in this particular role. The Green Bay Packers are looking for uh, a little bit of salvage in this football game, if you will. They haven't beat the Minnesota Vikings in either of the last two football seasons. They're 0-3-1. You can rest assured Aaron Rodgers has that chip on his shoulder. They're also a football team that won a Thursday football game and teams off Thursday wins that come back the next week at home in division games have been extremely profitable in the National Football League. And talking about being extremely profitable, Aaron Rodgers shines at home in division football games in his career, 23-6-1 straight up, 20-10 and 10 to the number. Even better, Aaron Rodgers, when he takes on division opponents within the first six games of the season... He's 11-0-1 straight up and 10-2 and against the spread. I'll be on the Green Bay Packers with you, Victor, in this football game for my side in this big NFC North division battle on Sunday. And with that, it's time to hop out to Las Vegas as we join with our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas to find out exactly how things are going in Las Vegas. And with that, Andy, I roll out the question and ask you, what's going on this week? Well, Mark, we had a great uh, week one, a very exciting week one, some controversy, some historic uh, results, and it sets up for some very interesting uh, developments in week two because, as I've long maintained, question one raises many more questions than it answers. Andy, I'm with you. Week one is now in the rearview mirror as far as the National Football League is concerned. It was also opening week for the three big contests in Las Vegas this week, namely the Superbook Contest. The gold contest, all both at the Westgate Superbook, plus the all-new Circa contest and the Golden Nugget contest. So, Andy, if you would, I know our listeners would love to know exactly how things filled out in those contests this year. We had the two major NFL contests, of course, the longstanding Superbook uh, uh, Super Contest and Super Contest Gold, and the new Circa contest, and, of course, the combination uh, Combination College and Pro contest sponsored by the Golden Nugget. And we had a record field once again in the Westgate Super uh, Contest, over 3,300 entries, or in fact, 3,328 to be precise, which broke the old record set last year by about 200. The uh, new Circa Contest, which they thought might not draw the 1,500 entries that they needed, 
to uh, match the amount that was guaranteed, a million five hundred thousand dollar payday as far as uh, being distributed in prize money. Yet they blew past that eighteen hundred and seventy five entries. It's almost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the quarterly bonuses. And that's the uh, little catch that they have to this new contest. Thousand dollar entry fee, million dollar guaranteed first place prize and four quarterly prizes. The best records for the segments, weeks 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 12, and 13 through 17. 50000 was guaranteed. Anything above the million five that came in was going to be split to fourth quarters, and they basically increased each of those four quarters by nearly $100,000. So that's five separate contests by the Circa. And, of course, the Golden Nugget this year had another very nice field, 282 contestants. Looking at the results from the main super contest, uh, classic, I guess they call it, to differentiate from the gold. There were 3,328 entries. Interestingly enough, nine people did not turn in selections. But what was pretty nice was 60 of the 3,328 contestants who did turn in selections, 50 of them, excuse me, 60 of them were a perfect 5-0. and 0. Sounds like a large number, 60 uh, perfect entries. It actually works out to 1.8% of the entry base. So while it's a large number, 60, it's actually a percentage that statistically could be expected about 1% to 2%, providing a perfect 5-0 and record based upon that number of entries. As far as the consensus for the selections went this week, the top five selections were 3-2. and two. The number one selection in the contest was the Baltimore Ravens. Nearly one-third of the contestants laid the points with the Ravens against the Miami Dolphins. The second most popular selection were the Indianapolis Colts getting six and a half and, of course, losing by six in overtime. That was a winning selection. The number three selection in the contest was on Monday night, the Houston Texans getting the seven points on the road against the New Orleans Saints. That was a winner. But selections four and five did not come through. And, in fact, both of those were in the two pick'em games. Tampa Bay was the selection over San Francisco, and, of course, the 49ers won that game. And Monday night, the Denver Broncos were a hugely popular selection pick them against the Oakland Raiders. And, of course, Oakland won that game. So three and two start for the consensus, which actually is better than the start in many recent years where the consensus has struggled. Overall, in the contest this week, when the, uh, the majority of the selections in the game were on the favorite, those selections went two and five. When the majority of the selections were on the underdog, three and four, as I just mentioned, the two pick em games, the selectors were 0-2 as far as the more popular side for 5-11 and overall in week one. Compare that to the Super Contest Gold where there were 117 contestants. Only one went 5-0, and but as I mentioned, that's a little bit under 1%. Would have, two, two perfect answers would have put it over 1%. So that's pretty much statistically what would have been expected. However, there were 15 of the 117 who did get off to a nice 4-1 and start. Similar to the Super Contest Classic, the results for the top five consensus picks were three and two. A little bit of a different distribution. The $5,000 entry fee generally would indicate that you'd have more sharp money in this contest, and generally sharp money will tend to favor underdogs, and such was the case in this opening week's contest. The Buffalo Bills were the number one selection. Uh, they covered their spread against the Jets in their outright upset. The number two selection, the Indianapolis Colts, also a covering selection at six and a half points. The number three selection, the Houston Texans, another underdog, plus seven. They covered their selection. The two losing selections amongst the top five, the Jacksonville Jaguars did not cover the plus three against Kansas City, nor did the Carolina Panthers cover the plus two and a half in their three-point loss to the L.A. Rams. 
for the week. The contestants in the uh, Super Contest Gold, 6-9 and nine amongst the 15 games that had uh, distributions between either side. There was one contest that was exactly even, the contest between Seattle and Cincinnati. Of the 117 selectors, 12 selectors were on each side of that contest. In the circuit contest, the top five selections were 2-2-1, two, two, and one. so basically a break-even record. The number one selection, the Baltimore Ravens, won and covered. About a third of the contestants in this contest picked the Ravens against the Dolphins. The number two selection in the contest, much as it was in the two previous contests I described, the Indianapolis Colts. However, the contestants got a push with their pick on Indianapolis as the line for this contest was plus six instead of plus six and a half. And it is worth pointing out, Mark, that there was a significant difference in lines and the number of games that had line differences between the uh, super contest lines that came out Wednesday afternoon and the circuit contest lines, which came out Thursday morning. Perhaps the biggest difference was in the game between the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders at the time that the circuit lines came out. It appeared as though uh, Antonio Brown was going to still be with the Raiders, of course, but be suspended. As a result, the line moved up to Denver minus two and a half. Recall that in the Super Contest, that game on Monday night was a pick 'em. The line actually did close with Denver, a three-point road favorite uh, as far as the closing number on the betting boards. The third most popular selection in the uh, Circa Contest was on the Kansas City Chiefs laying three rather than three and a half against Jacksonville. That was a, a winner for the uh, consensus of the uh, top five. Fourth selection, the Detroit Lions laying two and a half. Tough beat if you had Detroit because they were leading most of the way in that game, but that game ended up with an overtime time, so that was a loser. And uh, then the fifth most popular selection was a loser, Tampa Bay with the pick'em against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So the top five selections were uh, two, two, and one overall for the contestants. Uh, the results for the week, uh, five, nine, and one for the uh, for the results for the overall contestants. Finally, in the Golden Nugget, and we don't have reports, of course, on this contest being uh, the uh, most popular selections because it involves college and pros, and therefore nearly 120 different possible combinations. I can report that of the 282 entrants in the contest, in the contest, three of them were six and one. So there are no perfect cards in the Golden Nugget, which would have been a seven and zero. Oh. Three were six and one. Another eight were five, one and one for five and a half points, and 27 contestants were either five and two or four, one and two for a uh, total of five points. Of course, the uh, all these contests use points, but uh, we're talking about with pushes available in the Golden Nugget contest uh, this week, uh, there were uh, uh, half points involved. So that's the contest wrap-up for the first week of the uh, major contests here in Las Vegas. And with it, Andy, we know there's been a lot of major line moves that have occurred in Las Vegas. Can you tell us about what we expect to see or what you've seen so far as far as line moves in the National Football League this week? Okay, looking at the line moves, as uh, recall that uh, a policy started, oh, four or five years ago at the Westgate here in Las Vegas. On Tuesday of the week preceding the games of a given week, the Westgate puts out lines for the following week. So, for example, last Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, Prior to the start of week one, which began with the game on Thursday night between Chicago and Green Bay, the Westgate put up lines for week two, the games that are going to be played this week. These are not informational lines. These are lines that can actually be bet into uh, 
prior to them coming down when the games for week one actually take place. So, for example, uh, the advanced line for the Thursday night game this week between Tampa Bay and Carolina was Carolina four and a half. Well, when the line came out Sunday evening uh, after the playing of the Sunday games, Carolina had been installed as a five-point home favorite. Of course, Carolina losing uh, to the uh, powerful Los Angeles Rams, Tampa Bay uh, losing at home in a pick'em game to San Francisco. So the lines maker made a half-point adjustment. That line has since been bet up to Carolina six and a half. And the reason that uh, this information is important is we always wonder how much of an adjustment is made to the line based upon the most recent results. Well, the Westgate gives us a nice tool for doing just that. Looking at perhaps the most interesting game that uh, we probably have ever had in NFL history, the game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. Prior to the playing of Week 1, the New England Patriots were installed last Tuesday as 11-point road favorites at Miami. A pretty large number. Well, Miami goes out and gets blown out 59-10 to 10 at home to the... Um, uh, Baltimore Ravens on Sunday when that game was reposted later Sunday afternoon and remember this is now before the playing of the Sunday night game instead of the 11 that existed uh, last Tuesday the Patriots opened as 14 and a half point favorites over the uh, Miami Dolphins and then we saw New England blow out Pittsburgh on Sunday night so they took the game off while that game was being played on Monday morning there was another two-point adjustment. New England opened Monday morning as a 16-and-a-half-point road favorite against Miami. It's since been bet up to New England, a 19-point road favorite. And I know that uh, this is close to being the largest road favorite that I can recall going back nearly 40 years in my database. In fact, the only other one that comes uh, approaching that, and there's a little bit of a difference in some places whether the line was 18 or 19, but in the undefeated season of 2007, the uh, New England Patriots were 18 to 19 point road favorites at Baltimore. There's a real good chance this line will at some point uh, approach 20, maybe even 21. I know I can't get involved in this game, Mark, but I believe some sharps are probably waiting for the. Uh, uh, the line to possibly hit 20 or 21 and then have at least perhaps a seven-point middle. Maybe even more for those people who had a strong opinion against Miami and were able to lay the minus 11 with New England uh, during this past week prior to uh, the start of play on Sunday. Uh, those are probably the most significant moves that have occurred. I can mention a couple of others that uh, appear to be uh, moving a little bit. Baltimore also, uh, as a result of that win, and Arizona with that overtime tie, Baltimore was a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite against Arizona, uh, the line that uh, came out on uh, Sunday evening when the lines were reposted. That line opened and remains with Baltimore a 13-and-a-half-point so, uh, favorite. So the lines makers not shy in making rapid adjustments where deemed necessary. We always say you don't want to overreact to what you saw last week. At the same time, you don't want to fail to react. So if that indeed is true, and the alliance makers did not overreact in either the game between Baltimore and Arizona or the New England and Miami game. One wonders what the books would have liked to have put up if they did overreact. One can only imagine that Baltimore might have been close to a 17-point favorite, and perhaps the Patriots would have opened 21-point favorites. Uh, one thing we're going to do this year, because this does provide a tool, and of course with sports wagering now nationwide in many states, uh, we're going to uh, provide the lines that the Westgate puts out for the 
uh, following week. So, for example, right now I'm going to give you the week three advanced lines that are currently able to be bet. These lines came out Pacific time around noon on Tuesday. The Thursday night game in week three, Tennessee, a one-and-a-half-point road favorite at Jacksonville. Sunday, September 22nd, Green Bay favored at home by six and a half over Denver. Philadelphia favored by seven and a half at home against Detroit. Kansas City favored at home by six over the Baltimore Ravens. Buffalo, a four and a half point favorite over Cincinnati. Indianapolis favored at home by one over Atlanta. Minnesota, a seven and a half point favorite over the Oakland Raiders. New England, a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite against the division rival New York Jets. Excuse me, that's a 13-point favorite at home against the New York Jets. Dallas, a 15-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Miami Dolphins. Tampa Bay, a 3-and-a-half-point home favorite over the New York Giants. Uh, One of a few road favorites, Carolina, favored by 3-and-a-half at Arizona. Seattle, a 1-point home favorite against the New Orleans Saints. Keep in mind, New Orleans may end up spending the week on the West Coast as after uh, they play the Rams is when they head to Seattle for week three. They play the Rams in Los Angeles this coming week, week two. The L.A. Chargers, three-and-a-half-point home favorites against the Houston Texans. Pittsburgh on the road, favored by one-and-a-half at San Francisco. The Rams favored by one-and-a-half at Cleveland in the Sunday night game. And week three's Monday night game, the Chicago Bears, four-and-a-half-point road favorites at the Washington Redskins. Uh, before I let you go, I know our listeners are going to love to know what you've got on tap on the National Football League card this weekend as far as a free complimentary selection is concerned. Well, I mentioned you don't want to overreact to what you see in week one, but you do want to uh, check off some of the questions that you may have had coming into the season. And the game I'm going to go with this week is Cincinnati at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, This game actually opened Sunday evening with the uh, San Francisco 49ers at the Westgate favored by one and a half. The early money has come in on Cincinnati, and I can understand the move uh, with uh, Cincinnati favored between one and a half and two points. And I agree with that move. You know, coming into the season, Cincinnati, there were not a lot of high expectations. They made that long-awaited coaching change uh, with Marvin Lewis uh, being let go last year probably several years later than a lot of fans would have liked to. People forget that when he took over Cincinnati, they were one of the worst franchises in the NFL. He got them into a very competitive status, got them into the playoffs for five straight seasons, although they never won a playoff game. He had just worn out his welcome. He had just gone stale. There's still talent on the Cincinnati team, and even in losing to to Seattle last week, they showed a lot of very good things. Andy Dalton had a career day. Uh, The running game was not used extensively, even in the loss. They only ran, I think, 14 times, so the running back should be fresh. Going up against the San Francisco team that won last week at Tampa Bay, mainly because they made fewer mistakes than did Tampa Bay, and they capitalized on the mistakes that Tampa Bay did make. Jimmy Garoppolo, the quarterback who missed most of last year due to injury, did not look sharp throughout much of the summer, did not look sharp last week against uh, Tampa Bay. I'm looking at San Francisco uh, going on the road uh, for uh, for this contest, a second straight week at uh, Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati may be one of those teams. Remember, they got off to that hot start last year and then cooled. I think they have more talent than a lot of people recognize. Even uh, A.J. Green uh, has a nice compliment there. He's going to be out for, for a good part of the season. John Ross III filled in nicely at wide receiver last week. 
I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. If the line continues to move, I would not lay more than three points. But right now, you can lay as low as low as actually I've seen one rogue line of, 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 of minus one, but mostly one and a half is a smattering of two. So I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals to win in cover this weekend against San Francisco. That's Andy Isco on the Cincinnati Bengals for his complimentary play on the show this week. And I want to remind our listeners once again, if you haven't done so yet, download a copy of the Logical Approach football newsletter, a must-read for the football season. Check it out now online at thelogicalapproach.com. Andy, I'm going to wish you the best of luck this week, and I look forward to catching up with you next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. You too, Mark. Have a great weekend. and. Uh... Let's see what questions are answered in week one and from week one and which questions are now raised following week two. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear down our awesome angle over the week and share our complimentary plays with you for the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as an apple and g as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest, only the best, only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. From the hot South Florida sun, it's Mark Lawrence with his awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week on the college football card this week. It's an oldie but goodie. We call it Lean on Me. And what we're looking to do is to play in any college football underdog with 17 or more returning starters. That's coming off a point spread loss if they allow fewer than 33 points per game and they're seeking revenge against a non-conference opponent before game 10 of the season. Our 17 returner starter team coming off that point spread loss who allows less than 33 points with revenge this week is UCLA. We're playing them because teams in this role are 24 and eight against the spread. That's a 75% point spread winner. UCLA plus the points against Oklahoma for our awesome angle of the week this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap this weekend. And also, Victor, if you would, share our complimentary play with your listeners out there as well. Can do. We've already got a selection up uh, for the Thursday night NFL game between the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, an over-under selection in that game. We're also promoting our four-star over of the week in the NFL. One of the Sunday games that we... Figure to be a shootout. The database is in agreement with us. That will be available at the playbook.com website anytime on Friday. And before we throw out our free play of the week, I want to pile on to Andy's play a little bit if I can in regards to the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe add some uh, against the spread uh, fuel to the fire, if you will. But again, this is something that I found when just playing around in the database. And it's for NFL teams who begin the season with consecutive road games. They really perform poorly in that second road game, regardless of the outcome of the first one. 
This is one of those uh, patterns that's established itself very, very recently. And here you go. In the last five years, according to our database, NFL game two teams playing in the second of back-to-back road games, two and 17 against the spread. Guess who that applies to this week? The San Francisco 49ers. You could almost say that this is an unfair scheduling disadvantage for the Niners to open up with a cross-country game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one, fly back home, do their normal practice thing at home in the Bay Area, fly back over to the East Coast and play the Cincinnati Bengals in week two. They they qualify in that 2-17 and 17 ATS play against system, game two teams playing in the second back, back road games. And, in fact, there's three other teams this week playing in the second and back-to-back road games. We'll let the astute listeners decipher what those teams are. But I'm in total agreement with Andy on the Cincinnati Bengals this week over the San Francisco 49ers. And for our free play, why not turn it over to Tuco? You know, Tuco did well last week. He was his very first team total of the week was the L.A. Chargers over 25 points. We were stuck on 24 for a while there. But he brought home a winner in thrilling overtime fashion. The Chargers scored 30 points in their home win against the Colts. This week, Tuco's going over 25 points for the host Pittsburgh Steelers. In their home game against the Seahawks, now sharp betters, sharp over-under betters. They all know that Pittsburgh numbers in regards to home and extreme home and away games are extreme. The splits are just phenomenal. At home in the last five seasons, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 30.0 points per game last year, 29 28.4, 30.6, 30.1. That's a strong and consistent average of 29 points per game, all home games last five years, Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, yeah, I'm aware that they played a tough road game against the Patriots last week, Mark. That's okay because the database tells us that NFL home teams have averaged 32.4 points per game after playing a road game against the New England Patriots. And with that big loss against New England, the database tells that NFL favorites of a field goal or more have averaged 32.1 points per game off a big loss of 28 or more points. For the traveling Seahawks, We note that Seattle has allowed 28.3 points per game on defense when installed as non-conference road underdogs in the last five seasons. We look for the Steelers to erupt on offense in week two. Tuco is going over 25 points. Pittsburgh Steelers at home this week against the Seattle Seahawks. And don't forget, we got a five-star, excuse me, four-star over the week in the NFL on Sunday, available at playbook.com. And be sure to check out Victor's four-star play at playbook.com this weekend. And also download your copy of the totals tip sheet this week, just in time for all the NFL over-under totals on the card. And speaking about the card this week, I'm kicking off my college football underdog game of the month this Saturday. It's another top game play for my top game play club, all part of a $99 football weekend of winners. You can get it now online at playbook.com or give the office call toll free at 1-800-321-7777. 
with that, my complimentary play on the football card this week, I'm going to go right back to West Virginia, not because my wife is from West Virginia, but because I like the football team this week. They're a six and a half point home dog against NC State. You got NC State, the Wolfpack coming in here after playing both of the directional Carolinas, East Carolina and Western Carolina, both at home to open the season. Now they take out onto the road for their first road game of the season. West Virginia, a nice 20-1 straight up at home in line home openers. The last 21 line home openers, including a perfect 4-0 straight up in ATS the last four. As I mentioned, Neil Brown, their head coach, he shines in this particular role, 9-1-1 to the spread in games as a dog when he owns at least one victory on the season. With that, we'll grab the points with the Mountaineers over NC State for our complimentary play on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. For our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas from TheLogicalApproach.com, and my good friend Jack Reynolds, who I know is listening from above. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always. <laughs>